Uh, good evening. Uh, welcome. Um, I'm going to start with the introductions because we have an introduction. Then we have a person introducing uh, the speaker. Um, so first of all, welcome everybody um, to the um, fifth part of a six-part series on the on the honor of the 30th Yortzeit of the Rav. Um, I want to thank Netzach Menashe and the Yoshev Rosh, uh, Avi Spiegelman, for hospitality of Netzach Menashe. Uh, louder, sorry, I'll be making it louder. Um, first of all, please uh, please put your phones on uh, on on silent or stun, whichever one. If you're uh, whatever it is, um, vibrate, whatever it is. Um, uh, so that's the first thing. Uh, of course, I want to thank all the shuls, and I want to publicly thank um, Yeshiva University of Israel and Yeshiva University. Come on in, come on in. Yeshiva University reads. Um, uh, they have been a very much a part of uh, this uh, program and co-sponsoring this with the Beit Midrash Initiative. Of course, I also want to thank uh, Mizrahi and um, OU and uh, um, RCA Israel, rabbis of RCA, and uh, Rabbi Traberg and Rabbi Doron Perez, and of course, um, uh, Rabbi Avi Berman from the OU. And uh, before we begin, I would, of course, like to ask uh, Ray Penner, the head of uh, REITs, uh, the Menahel REITs, is that the official title? Many of the Menahel REITs? Uh, yeah, there's a story about uh, the Rav uh, in, the, in Rabbi Adler's book. Where's Rabbi Adler? The book about the Rav waiting online, and then the, and then and then the whole thing happened with Rabbi Lamb with the the postscript to the story. Uh, you, you'll get the book. You'll, I'll talk about it a little more later. Uh, uh, speaking of books, uh, we have um, one of the things that we do. We try to do in our uh, programs is always to have a sale of the books. So a person speaking, we sell the book uh, because we want the, the Torah not just to be a one-time thing. We want it to continue. And with the Rav's Torah, you can't get enough. There's there are a plethora of sarm outside, which we hope you'll take advantage of. Uh, Michael Rose is here, graciously has agreed to uh, be out there for the entire evening. So thank you. Um, and without further ado, I'd like to ask Nile of Yeshiva University Reits, uh, Mark Bennett. Thank you very much, Rabbi Thaw. I'm going to take just, just two minutes because um, I, along with uh, Rabbi Adler, am catching a flight as soon as the second, uh, the second shear is done, and I think mine is about 40 minutes before I buy Adler's, so uh, I'm not going to delay the proceedings, but I just wanted to, uh, to thank uh, Rabbi Thaw and to thank uh, the whole committee for letting us be a part of this wonderful initiative. We had a very, very powerful program in Yeshiva University in Lamport Auditorium, where many of you had this chus to hear the Rav give some of his most powerful drashos. And uh, we're happy to be a part of it, and we're stressing it even more in yeshiva as the years go on. I think there was a time where one wondered whether people would really remember uh, the teachings of the Rav, only because so many of the Talmidim, lo yadu et yosef, the Talmidim now in Yeshiva University don't even have any recollection. They've never met the Rav. They never saw the Rav passing in the street. Um, but it is so important that we do this because the Rav remains so important. We forget that so much of what our community is and so much of what our life is, is based on the thought of Rabbi Soloveitchik, how groundbreaking his approach to 
Judaism was, how it was, of course, as Roshachta says, based in what the way he saw the simplest of the Marmakomos, the simplest of sources, and yet it opened up a worldview for hundreds and thousands of Jews around the world. Uh, we hope to be here even more Yeshiva University than we've ever been before. Um, in many different capacities, I've had a wonderful couple of weeks here, starting with the Mizrahi Conference. We had a rabbinic alumni conference for a small group of rabbis in Ashdod for the last few days. Um, and it's really with the very same goal of taking this, this treasure that we have, which is the legacy of the Rav, and making sure that it stays alive in Chutz Haaretz and, of course, in Eretz Yisrael. So it's wonderful to see so many familiar faces, and it's my pleasure to call upon David Miller. I hope you all have a source sheet that will make the listening much, hopefully, a bit clearer. Hosting B'chvod Achsanya, I want to thank Rav Baruch for organizing this entire series of shiurim. Uh, may all the Torah that is being learned and disseminated uh, serve as an aliyah l'neshama l'moreinu v'raveinu, Rav Yosef Dov HaLevi Salavechik. I also want to uh, thank Rabbi Penner for his presence. I hope sometime I'll have the opportunity of introducing him and being able to tell everyone about the Mesiris Nefesh with which he, uh, he invests in, in, in his position as the, as the dean of Ritz. Uh, the yeshiva has grown tremendously in terms of the Kol Torah in the Beis Medrash, circle of Mashkichim, uh, Yirat Shamayim, Mir uh, Hashem, he should only continue with the, my, my Birkas Hedyot of Chazak Ve'ematz. Sorry, I, I forgot to announce, uh, just one thing, I'm thanking all the Sponsors tonight's special uh, sponsor is the Vardit and Avi Spiegelman in honor of Rabbi Mordechai Spiegelman, who was to have learned in the Rav Shir in the late fifties. So thank you, Spiegelman family. Okay. So this will be also Elias Nishmas uh, of Spiegelman. No, honor. honor. Okay. Thirty years have gone by since the Petira of the Rav, and of course. Memories, memories come back. Um, it's been 60 years since I attended for the first time Rav Aaron Lichtenstein Shir, 58 years since I was able to attend the Rav Shir. And so if you'll just indulge me for a moment um, to uh, share with you how I got into the Rav Shir. It was uh, post-Pesach, of 1965, I had just turned 18 years old. I was a freshman in Yeshiva College, and I was in a tremendous quandary. I had the schus of learning Rav Aparnas Shlita when I was a junior in MTA. When I was a senior in MTA, that's when Rav Aaron Lichtenstein came from Harvard to give his first shear, uh, freshman shear in Yeshiva College, and I was able to skip into that shear. When I was a freshman in college the following year, I learned by Rav Aaron Soloveitchik, uh, and um, I was still in his shear at that point in 1965. In those two, two years, both by Rav Aaron Lichtenstein, it was a, what word to use? It, it was, I, 
so stimulated both intellectually, morally, and Reverend Soloveitchik, I tremendously enjoyed his shear. And my question was, what, what is it going to do for the next three years? At that time, you couldn't stay in a shear undergraduate for more than one year. And you weren't allowed to move into the Rav Shear until you were in Smicha. And I still had three years until Smicha. And I really didn't know what to do. And Rav Yeruchim Gorella came over to me, and he said, I, I can solve your problem. I have, I, I have friends in Eretz Yisrael. I have a friend, Rav Elia Mishkovsky. Uh, he learned by Rav Shimon Shkup. He learned, he learned by Rav Baruch Ber. And he has a yeshiva in Kfar Hasidim in Eretz Yisrael. And Rav Elia Lapian is the mashkiach ruchani there. I'll write to them that they should accept you as a student. I, I thought that was wonderful. In other words, it would be a wonderful opportunity to go to learn Eretz Yisrael. At that time, as, as most of you are well aware, um, there, was, there was no post-high school program in Eretz Yisrael. I had never learned in Eretz Yisrael. And I told my parents that this appeared to be a wonderful opportunity. Okay. Um, in, in June of that year, after the yeshiva was over, the, uh, my father asked me for a favor that he at that time was president of the RCA, and he had a number of things he had to talk to the Rav about, and he also had the galleys of the lonely man of faith that was supposed to be published in tradition, and at that time, there was no computer, there were no facts, there was no way of getting it other than driving to Onset. So my father asked, would I be willing to drive with him to Onset and split the driving, four-hour drive, we'll each drive two hours each way. So I thought to myself, eight hours with my father? When did I ever have an opportunity to spend eight hours with my father one-on-one? -on -one? So I said, of course, you know, certainly four hours going, four hours coming back. And so we drove to Onset, and I sat on the porch of the bungalow. My father went in to speak to the Rav. And after two hours, they came out, and the Rav looks at me, and he says, where are you learning next year? And I said, in Yitzhak I hope to learn in Eretz Yisrael. So and I told him about the opportunity. And he said, there are no shirim in Eretz Yisrael on the level of my shir. You'll learn with me next year. I, I, I just sat there. He said, no, you agree? There was no, Do you agree? Well, of course I said, yes. Uh, I, you realize I didn't speak to my father for the next four hours. Um, on the way back, I, I was very upset at being ambushed. And um, also, I, I couldn't think of what, what's going to be. I'm going to walk into Shear, and I'll be three years younger than everyone else in the Shear. I'm, I'm not Revar Lichtenstein. I'm a, I'm a normal human being. Uh, and, you know, what, what's, what's going to be? And so the first day of Shear, I, I went very early to try and find a spot that would be not obviously. And, and there were two other fellows who came early, and they were also 18 years old. That uh, Mordechai Willig, who had been with me by Revar and Soloveitchik, and uh, a young man named Shalom Spitz, who came from Tels. He, he was a Talmud of Rav Gifter. And uh, we later became roommates, and he told me that Rav Gifter told him that had, if he would just remain in Tels, he'd let him even go to college. He, he was a very, very special young man. And so the three of us decided to sit together. So we sat together, and then other fellows came into the shear. And then the Rav walked in and sat down, and he said, Mr. Abrams told me that he put three Yanukos into our shear. And he turned to the shear and said, do you think they belong? Everyone laughed. Uh, do you think they belong? And he said, okay. Let's see if they belong. Willig, Miller, Spitz. This went on for a month. Willig, Miller, Spitz. In other words, read the Gemara. Explain the Gemara. Answer my question. You didn't answer properly. Answer again. Baruch Hashem survived. And um, although Baruch Hashem, I, I view of Aaron Lichtenstein as my Rav Mufak, I learned by him for 50 years, 
But those those uh, years that I was by the Rav were were very, 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 very meaningful. Um, had a tremendous hashpa. His he, his expectations from from us, from his talmidim, his brilliance, his creativity, sharpness, his penetrating and piercing eyes, and when occasionally he would smile, his eyes twinkled. And so I'd like to uh, share with you a shear, um, a shear that uh, I, I've, I've, it's my shear, but it's based on the Rav's Torah, and I wrote it up for Lechvod Rav Shechter in the volume that was published, Atera Tzvi, um, in honor of his Hagiyola Gil Gvurot, in honor of his uh, 80th birthday. And um, I feel that in many ways it's an example of of his unique style um, that uh, I was Ocha to receive along with many of you. So I'd like to begin this year. Um, the clock is behind a, uh, an Israeli flag. So I'll try and uh, keep within the time frame. My father always began his sermons with dear friends. I think that this year I can begin looking at the audience and really say, dear friends. Um, it's very, very special to see friends and to see Talmidim uh, from many, many, over many years. I'd like to start, the year will begin a bit esoteric and then hopefully move to be more exoteric. Um, there is a classic Reb Chaim in the Chibur, in Hilchos Yibum V'chalitza, where Reb Chaim relates to a problem within the Rambam, that we're all aware that... Uh, we have Hilchos Ishus, Hilchos, we have Sefer Noshim of the Rambam that includes Hilchos Ishus, includes Hilchos Gerashin, includes Hilchos Ibn Vachalitza. And one of the rules is that Gitin uh, Vikidushin require Edim Rekiyam Hadavar. That if someone were to be Makadesh a woman, it has no halachic validity, it has no meaning without there being two kosher Edim who witness the Kiddushin, who witnessed the Gerushin. And yet the Rambam paskins over here that im cholza, beinola beina, harezo chalitza psula. He doesn't say eina chalitza, which the Mukha Yosef says, chalitza below edem, lo havya chalitza, ramsefer, harezo chalitza psula, meaning that it has halachic validity on a certain plane, that, that this woman now has the status of a semi-chalitza that the other brothers can't give her chalitza that there's something, something happened. And the question Reb Chaim was bothered by, like there were no Eidekiyum, like what, what could possibly have, have happened over here that this Chalitza would have a degree of validity? And Reb Chaim answers by saying that there are two models of creating a Chaloshem, two models of creating a Halachic reality in the world of Beino Ubeina, in, in the world of interpersonal relations. One of them is, the classic one, that HaKadosh Baruch Hu viewed man as a created man as a Tzalem Elohim and gave man the power. HaKadosh Baruch Hu empowered an individual to create a halachic reality, that he, to create an Eishas Ish or to revoke an Eishas Ish, that if the person has proper Das, he can create turn, turn a woman from a Pnuya into an Eishas Ish, turn an Eishas Ish in, in, into a Grusha, that is one track, and that track requires Edim Lekiyam Hadavar. 
However, there's another track that we have in which simply a person does an act and then HaKadosh Baruch Hu stamps on the individual the halos shame. It's automatic. It's not via the individual. Like, for example, the concept of zona, that if a woman um, has a cert, does, a, under, does a certain act, a certain improper act with someone with whom she is not, should not, is forbidden to marry, then she has a status of zona automatically. There's no need for edim lekiyum hadavar. That woman would not be allowed to marry a kohen. That woman would not be able to eat truma. Um, and that's this week's parsha. And, and these are two tracks. And the question within the Rambam is, which track is chalitza? Do we view chalitza as part of the track that we're dealing with an individual creating her status of being a chalitza and permitting her to marry out of the, out of the realm of Yibum? Or is this something that a person goes through certain motions and then automatically the Torah, HaKadosh Baruch Hu, turns her into a chalutza? The difference would be, do you require a dekiyum or do you not require, require a dekiyum? Now, in the world of, uh, of a zona, there's no need for a dekiyum. However, if there is a denial, if there is a kfira, so that we have a concept of lo ibri that we have a concept of ede birur. So the question is, in the world of chalitza, is there a need for ede kiyum? Or only if there is a question, then we, then we will move over to the world of ede birur. And the similar question that's dealt with um, in, in Reb Chaim is, does one require, what level of das is required? In order to be able to create a chaloshem, one requires a classic das makna. However, if we're dealing with that which occurs automatically, all one requires is kavana for the act. There, there's a concept of acherim omdim al gavav, like in the world of lishma. In any case, these are the fr- this is the framework that Reb Chaim, uh, that Reb Chaim sets up. The um, as as we would expect, anything which has a lot of truth to it would already be found much earlier. And really, we find the Tosfos in, in Ksuvos that already states this issue regarding chalitza. The sugi over there deals on dafayin dalad amaralaf, the second maramakom deals with the question as to whether a tnai, a condition, is binding in the world of chalitza. If a person wants to, unfortunately, take advantage of a woman who needs chalitza, and he says, I'll, be chale, I'll give chalitza to my sister-in-law on condition that she gives me half a million dollars. Is such a condition binding? If, if, in other words, or can she claim, no, in other words, the chalitza is valid even if I don't give him the half a million dollars. And so the Gemara over there states that since the world of Tanaim, Mishpatea Tanaim, are learned out from the agreement between Moshe Rabbeinu and B'nai Gad and B'nai Ruvain, if they cross the Yardin, if they don't cross the Yardin, so what has to, be, has to be similar to that agreement. And since that agreement could be done by a Shliach, that Yehoshua was the one who actuated the agreement, only an agreement that, that can be done, that can be fulfilled by a Shliach, do we have a din of a tnai which is binding. But if, it, if an act cannot be done by a shliach, then the tnai is not binding. And since chalitza cannot be done by a shliach, it requires the brother-in-law himself, so the, the, the condition would not be binding. Tosas over there asks, what in the world is the inner logic that's involved over here? The fact that, that it happened to have done, been done by a shliach? I mean, so of course, so if you could come and say, um, that Tznai of Benegad Beruven was over real estate. So maybe conditions are only binding in the world of real estate, not, not, not in the world of movable goods. 
what, what, what kind of arbitrary condition is that? And Tosis answers, it's not an arbitrary condition. If a person has enough control in an area of halacha to give power of attorney to someone else, he also has enough control in that area to set conditions that will be binding. But if a person is not in control, he just goes through certain motions that are personal motions. He can't hand it over to an individual. He can't hand it over to a shliach. He can't give power of attorney. He also doesn't have control to be able to set any conditions. And we exactly what the Rav spoke about in terms of chalitza, according to the Rambam, that's what we find in Tosus in Andaf, Andaf Ayin Dalit. That's the Chakira of Reb Chaim with the Raya from Tosfos. The Rav, however, took this one step further. Everything we said is in the Chibur of Reb Chaim. What the Rav pointed out is what he had an oral tradition. He had an oral tradition of Reb Chaim that these two forms of Chalot Shem, the Chalot Shem, which the, the halachic status, which is created by an individual, and the, which requires Da'as, which requires Eidikiyum, and the Chalos Shem, which go, comes about automatically, they are both found within the world of marriage. That everyone knows that the world of marriage has two stages. It has Kedushin or Erusin. Those are uh, parallel terms. And then later, there is a second stage called Nisuim. And the Rav says that he has a tradition from Reb Chaim that the world of Kedushin is, 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 is one form of handing over, of creating, of bestowing a chalot shame, and the world of Nisuim is a totally separate form. If you turn the page over in the middle of the page, there is an article um, that was translated into Hebrew called Madodech Bidot. The Rav gave a hespate for his uncle, for Reb Velvel, and it was uh, published by, by, by the Sochnut, by the Machaka uh, Toranit of, of the Sochnut. So there are three columns there, and if you look in the right-hand column on the sixth line, the Rav describes what is Erusin. What is that first stage of marriage? Hazikahi kinyanit isurit. Ha'ishut b'matzav zeh mitmatzeit b'ikara b'isur ha'isha al kol ha'olam. Via Kiddushin, this woman is now an eshetish, meaning that no man can have relations with her. Vashrigashe b'amurubal ha'chiyuv. Adayin, even she's still asur al ba'alami divrei sofrim. It's a purely legalistic a uh, juridic condition. Ha'arusva arusa shtei chativot existentialiot hen. That's not a good translation. Tchumei kiyumam misuyagim hem adayin tchum tchum biyichudo hametafizi. Ha'ish bit badruto ha'isha bit rad badruta ha'gvura mafrid ben shnei kiyumim ro nimcha he gar bebeit avia who gar bebeito ha'yudim still shonim hem etc. That's how he describes the first stage. The second stage is described in the middle of the center paragraph, about the tenth line down. Mahi mahuto shel yichud chupa. Chupa is that which creates the second stage of nisuin. Ha'arus farusa korchim et chayem bekiyum achid goralehem mit mazgim yudiyem mit lakdim min ha'yud noledet. Um, and he speaks about it in flowing, in flowing terms, that here we have the Torah calling this woman, that they are one organic whole, that, she has that they have both fulfilled the concept of That's a description of the two stages of marriage. What the Rav says is he heard in the name of Reb Chaim, 
is that these two stages are created in two different manners. If you go back to the right-hand side, the fourth line, he points out, ha'irusin mushtatim al kinyan, kesef shtar, etc. v'hazikanik va'at ayedei pu'ula soranit, hilchatit, chukit, mushreshiti, v'hachratat ritzon chavshit u'bedat makne u'mitchayevet. And of course requires a dekiyum. If you go to the middle column, about the sixth line, he points out Reb Chaim Hayasavur. Again, this is not written down anywhere in the name of Reb Chaim. This was the Rav's tradition. That the person takes his kala to the chupa and with a kavana to marry her. Automatically, HaKadosh Baruch Hu turns them into a husband and wife in a total manner. Very, very beautiful um, framework, theoretically. But we have over here two problems. Problem number one is that this isn't the minhag of the world. Um, anyone who has been at a wedding ceremony knows that the rav of the wedding ceremony not only requires a dekim for the kedushin, but he also requires a dekim for the chuppah. Uh, we have a whole question, if we turn the other side back to the original side, as to what is chuppah. So the, the, the Ramah in Evan Ezer brings many dayot. He brings the day of the Sfardin, that chuppah is after the wedding when the husband takes his wife home. And then yesh omrim, that the chuppah is the canopy, the sudar al-rosham be'etabracha. Some say the chuppah is the hinuma, is the badekin. And our minhag is that it's both the canopy and the yichud room in which they sit and eat b'mokom tzanua afterwards. And the Rav says, I want to aid them here, I want to aid them here, I want to aid them there. Who had in that if we have this framework that everything is automatic, we already saw by Chalitza, you can't have shlichut. Uh, my brother, uh, Ishlita, was married by, by the Rav in Boston. And uh, when my brother tried to put the, the, the veil over his kala, his mother-in-law-to-be tried to help him. And the Rav said, no, no, don't touch, don't, don't, you shouldn't touch it. It has to be done by the husband. It, there's no shlichut. He can't make you part of this ceremony. It has to be done by him because this is the form of, of the automatic. You have to do the act and then automatically the, the wife become, becomes a wife. It's not something which is a halot shame that's created by an individual on which there is shlichut. And the Rav was very makfid that no one but the husband should put the veil over, over, over his wife. However, Rav Shechter pointed out that there's a Dogel Miravava um, in Yoridea, in the world of Hilchos Avelich, which speaks about Badekin very interestingly. And over there, he says that if the Hassan wants to be Machabed, the Rav or someone else to do the Badekin, Bevakasha, Shluchal Shaladim Kamoso. In other words, that, so this, this, this uh, theoretical framework is not necessarily um, done by currently Halachal Amaisa, but the, the Rav can disagree with what other Rabbanim do, but the question is, what's the source of such a distinction? Where do we see anywhere that Kiddushin is the din of Da'as Makna and Yisuim is, some, is an act which is done by the husband and then automatically his wife becomes uh, an Eishetish and becomes permitted to him, etc. So the Rav in the footnote in the Mado Dech Midod says this is based on a sheet of Rav Nisim Gaon in, in Tosvos, 
in um, in Tosos in Kedushin and Daf Yud Amir Aleph that there is a stira um, in terms of uh, we won't go in, into into the shita, but it's a very problematic shita of Rav Nisim Gaon. Uh, Tosis himself asks on it that it appears to be an inner steerer within the Gemara. The question is, is there a, a source, a real source for this uh, oral tradition that the Rav had in the name of Reb Chaim? So I would like to suggest that perhaps there is, but the key, Dafka, is found in a phrase um, of Rav Kook, um, that, um, that in which Rav Kook, in simply a few words, turns the world on its head. Um, the, 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 if you turn the page to the side that has the sections that are printed from very different volumes, there's a volume where it says number 13 called Shmuot Haraya Parshat Chaye Sarah that Rav Kook used to give Shalashudis Drashos, which of course no one could transcribe Bismano, but afterwards there was a Ma'atik, someone would sit down Mosei Shabbos and from memory write down those Shalashudis Drashos and uh, Rav Hadari found the manuscript, Rav Hadari, that's that cell from Yeshiva Dakota, Shaya Hadari, found the manuscript, and he published these, uh, these Shaloshudas drashos of Rav Kook. And in this particular drasha, which was based on Parshas Chaye Sara, um, Rav Kook related to the Gemara in Kedushan and the Beza Medalef, which learns out that you can marry a woman by giving her kesef, that the Gemara learns out, Egzera Shava, Kicha, Kicha, Bistei Efron that we find by stay Ephron, that we find by Ishus, that taking a woman as a wife, is, we use the phrase, the verb, yikach, and by um, the, 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 the purchase of stay, of, of, uh, of stay Ephron, it says, so here you have the word kach, here you have the word yikach, Clearly, Stay Ephron is being purchased with Arbameyot Shekel Kesef Over Socher. It's being purchased with money, and therefore you can get married via money. So everyone understands, as, as, uh, um, as it may sound not very um, politically correct, that the, uh, that the source of Kesef Kedushin is Karka. The same way that one buys real estate, one can use that same means to marry a woman. However, Rav Kook was machadish tremendously in the very, very last line of this section. Kicha, kicha, mistei Ephron, hatzad hashaveh, and we'll just skip the few next words in a minute, likidushin ule'eretz Yisrael. We're not comparing marrying a woman to purchasing real estate. We're, compar- we're, com- we're, we're comparing marrying a woman to acquiring Eretz Yisrael, to acquiring a kinyan in Eretz Yisrael. And then Rav Kook in the entire section uses the, 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 the concept that the world of, of, being, of purchasing Eretz Yisrael, there, there's a Bekoach and there's a Bepoal, that there, and there is a Kitschel Shaitan, a Kitschel Asedlovo, and parallel to that we have in the world of Ishus, different stages. It's not brisker terminology, but the Rav, um, once, once we see this comparison, the Rav does discuss this concept in a different essay. Um, the Rav, uh, I think at the Mizrahi Convention, they were selling uh, ten drashos that the Rav said at Mizrahi Conventions. Um, classically, there is a volume called Chamesh Drashos, Finnish Drashos, that was published many, many years ago of drashos of the Rav at Mizrahi Conventions. And in that volume, in Chamesh Drashos, the first drasha is Vayachalom Yosef Chalom. The Rav was the Yosef who had his dream, and, and, and he was a dreamer. Um, different than, than many of, of, his, of his brother's thoughts. And he has a paragraph there called Stay Mikneva Kever. 
if one again turns the page back over to the side of the Word document, so in Bracious, the Rav pointed out that in Parshas Chayisar, we appear to have what appears to be a redundancy. If you look at Pasuk Yud Zion, it says, Vayokam stay Ephron Asher Ba and continues into Pasuk And then two psukim later, it says, We already saw that there was an acquisition. Why is the acquisition pointed out twice? So in the Chamesh Drashot, at the very last line in the, left, in the right-hand column, the Rav points out that we have over here two introductory statements. Before the first time that it mentions that it was bought, we have a Yishkol Avram Le'efron Etakesef. Before the second time that it points out that it was acquired, we find that Avraham buried Sarah. And the Rav said that these two are two different stages of acquiring Eretz Yisrael. To read the Rav's language, Vayishkol Avram Le'efron Etakesef Kasher Asa Raket Kinyan HaKesef HaFormali Ahil when, when the person went through a formalistic act, it was purchased by him in front of We have over here a formal legalistic acquisition. Today it could belong to Avraham, tomorrow to someone else. It can, it can, it, it can be taken away. Ulam kasher Avraham kara kever asher bo kavar et Sarah shahav Sarah she grieved at smakamahu vulayotermi menu oto Sarah asher gamhi bantam mizbachot nit alapit om hasadeh to the level of a stay achuza achar kein kavar Avraham et Sarah ishto marata machpira vayakam hasadeh marasher bo Avraham la achuza and then already it's not la enei benechet it's me eight benechet. This is already no longer a Kinyan Kesef. This is a Kinyan Damim. This is an Achuzat Kever. This is for Nitzrius, the Chalutin, Me'et B'nechit. Like the Gemara in Brachos. Amar Rav Shimon Ba Yochai, Shalosh Matanos Tovos Nos Anakosh Baruch Hu Yisrael V'kulan Lo Netanan Ela Ayedei Yisurim. Torah, Olam Haba, and Eretz Yisrael. So the Rav said that this Kinyan, this Kinyan of Yisurim, is a second level. Namely, we have, in, in acquiring Eretz Yisrael, we have a formal Kenyan. The Karen Kayemet can purchase the lands. But then we have the Kenyan that, unfortunately, we've experienced over and over in the last few weeks, a Kenyan Damim, an investment of Yisurim as, as a Kenyan Eretz Yisrael. That already is not a formal Juridic Kenyan. That's an existential oneness of ourselves with Eretz Yisrael. This, then, could serve as the source of our of of of, uh, of the Rav's oral tradition, the Rav pointed out that within marriage we also have these two stages. We have the juridic stage and we have the existential stage. This is kicha kicha nistei Ephron, according to Rav Cook, that we're comparing marrying a woman to acquiring Eretz Yisrael. Just as in acquiring Eretz Yisrael, you have the formal kinyan, but the two remain somewhat separate. And then you have the existential kinyan where there is a formal where there is a oneness. Who had in, in the world of marriage, you can have a formal Kenyan, create an Asiasis formally, Das Makna, Edekium, etc. And then you have an existential Kenyan, 
which is built in when the person does an act, when a person undergoes Yisurim in terms of Eretz Yisrael, or a person brings his wife into a chuppah, then the Torah automatically gives this halos shame to the, to, 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 to the change of halachic status. Um, the Rav took this one step further. The whole, we're pointing out that what he said earlier about Eresin and Kedushin was in a, was in a hespade he gave for Ravelvo. What does Eresin and Kedushin have to do with a hespade for his uncle? The answer is that the Rav said that these two stages of Eresin and Nisuim apply also in the world of learning. In the, wor- in the words of the Rav, HaTorah HaYetan Nisu'ala Reb Chaim, and then to Ravelvo, we have two Gemaras. We have one Gemara in Brachos at the very bottom of the Word document. The Gemara points out, Torah Tzivolana Moshe Morasha Kilat Yaakov. Altikri Morasha Ela Moorasa. That we have a concept of being uh, formally married to the Torah. A Kinyan formally, a Kinyan, uh, Kinyan Mishpati. And then we have on the top of the, of, of the, of the second page, the Gemara it's, there's a typo. It says Brachos. It's Gemara and Ksuvis, and of Ayin Zayin Amud Beis, in which Rav Yoshua ben Levi is described as Mikrich Bahu, that there were, there were contemporaries, Rav Yoshua ben Levi, who didn't want to teach students who had disease, who had infectious diseases. They were afraid of catching the disease. Rav, Rav Yoshua ben Levi, Mikrich Bahu, he would hug these, these Talmidim, Vaasik Betara, Amar, he said, Vyapasak in Mishle, Ayelet Ahavim Vyarat Chain. That we have a pasuk that describes a beautiful marital relationship. That we have a pasuk dealing with a marriage, and and Rabbi Yisrael Melevi was dorish this pasuk. He viewed the Torah as transforming an individual internally. And if it gives him chen, it also gives him immunity. Namely, that there is a Kenyan of Torah, which is a formal Kenyan, at Eresin, and there's a Kenyan of Torah, which is an existential oneness with the Torah. And the Rav said, that was Reb Chaim, and that was Revelvel. They had that, that, that darga, that, that level of an existential connection with the Torah. As opposed to the other Gedolim, who were Kone Torah. They had a very fine Kenyan Torah, but it was the level of Ma'orasa. So just to, to summarize, the, the Rav began with the conceptual model of Reb Chaim, that we have Tzveidinim, we have two types of bringing about a Chaloshem in the world of Ishus, in the world of Arayas, with the Nafka meaning being Chalitza. And then the Rav elevated this to an overview of two stages in all areas of relationships of Kedusha. You have a formal stage, and you have a more existential stage. This applies in the world of marriage, Kiddushin and Yisuim, in acquiring, in acquiring Eretz Yisrael. We have a Kinyan Kesef, and we have a Kinyan Damim, and in acquiring Torah, in which we have a Morasha, a Morasa, and we have an Eshet Nu'urim, we have an Ayelet Ahavim. Demir Tzashem, HaKadosh Baruch Hu, should be, bring about the Aschut to Klal Yisrael, that we should all reach levels of existential oneness in our marriages, in our learning, and in our love story with Eretz Yisrael.
thank you so much, Rebbe. We're uh, really honored that uh, you came. I know that uh, I, we uh, were able to get you to, to finally come back. Rebbe, you were the first one in the base measures program. We started about seven years ago, eight years ago. You were the first one, and um, uh, over the last uh, seven years, we've eight, seven and a half years, we've uh, had over 6,000 hours of uh, Limuna Torah. Uh, but it's not just me, it's the committee, it's the shuls, it's the community. Um, uh, uh, Netach Menashe, who was Ramardasra Ravioni, was is not here, but he was uh, very much supportive of this. As is Rav Meir Lichasin, who, of course, not just for this shurim, but for all the shurim, he's been very supportive of the Beit Midrash Initiative, and BMTL, of course, uh, and uh, Netach um, and Eitzchayim, and Beit Knesset Feigenson Nofei Aviv, and of course Rabbi Rosner Shul Nofei Hashemesh. And um, did I not did I remember everybody? I think I said everyone. Oh, good. If I didn't remember anyone, please you'll, you'll forgive me. I just uh, I'm in awe of, of Rebbe's um, uh, taking a very complicated subject and making it so simple. And that uh, I guess that he followed in, in his Rebbe's uh, uh, way, which everyone talks about how the Rebbe was able to make uh, make a shear and say, "Why didn't we think of that?" So I'm not going to say any more other than that. But thank you so much for being here, and uh, of course. Rebbe, you know uh, that uh, we go way back together for many, many years in the Bronx. And uh, uh, Rebbe, uh, your father was uh, was my uh, was my father's uh, rabbi in the King's High Jewish Center when he was bar mitzvah right after World War II. And it was and he was Messiah Kedushin for uh, uh, for uh, my parents and for my sister and uh, and uh, for me on the first time around. And of course, the second time around, Rebbe, you were my Messiah Kedushin. And it's just an honor that uh, we have this connection. May, may it continue for many years to come. Uh, our next speaker is uh, is someone that I know a lot about, but I don't really know uh, personally, although I've met him and I've seen him in action. And uh, uh, But uh, just re- just re- starting to read the, his book, I, uh, I, I know uh, from whence he comes. Uh, he's, uh, he's one of the Talmidim of the Rav, and uh, these stories are just... Uh, um, so amazing, and I urge you all to uh, get these, to get this safer. You won't be able to put it down. I brought it to school today, and no one let me read it. They were all like, tr- everyone was fighting for it. I said, "Get your own, get your own copy. Don't leave me alone. This is my, this is mine." But uh, so anyway, And again, I want to thank uh, Vardit and Avi Spiegelman for uh, co-sponsoring today, tonight's year in honor of uh, Rabbi Mordechai Spiegelman, who's a Talmud of the Rav. In the fifties, and uh, this is really a, a, a love uh, a love fest for the Rav. Um, but personally, when I thought about doing this um, with the team, I said, you know, I I, I would be nowhere without the Rav because every single one of my rebbeim from the time I was a yanuka, I wasn't uh, I was actually really a yanuka. I was in, in first grade uh, with uh, Rabbi Fold, Yonah Fold, who was at, at YU in, in, in the Rav Shir. And then, of course, with uh, Alicia Citron, who was a Talmud, and also in, uh, in my Rebbe in, in elementary school. And then in high school, Rabbi Beeler and uh, Rabbi Shmuel Gordon. And then in, 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 in Smicha, in, uh, with uh, the, all the Rebbeim. And, uh, uh, and, of course, with Rebbe in Gruss, uh, the two years that uh, I was there, that at the Schuss of Learning with you, um, they, they, uh, I remember everything about those days. I remember the stories that you told in the Shurim, 
and um, I'm, I'm proud to be a grandson of the Rav. I don't call myself a Talmud of the Rav, but I consider myself a grandson, but I'm, I'm, I'm the, uh, you know, a grand Talmud. I'm saying that, you know, not, not a real grandson. I, I know that, Rebbe. Uh, sorry, Rebbe, I wasn't, you know, saying in terms of the Shalshelet. Yes. Right. Okay. Well, I, so I feel an honor to welcome and Nuka Zora Rav Aaron Adler to speak now. It's a kavod gadol, tremendous kavod, mamash, to be on the program with um, Rav Miller, Rosh Koilel at the Gross at the Yeshiva University in Yerushalayim, and in the presence of uh, so many B'nai Torah, Rabbanim, I'll mention Rabbi Mark Penner, who's the um, Dean of Reeds, who was here and others, I'm just not going to mention everybody because then we're just going to have to spend the time mentioning everybody. But thank you very much uh, for joining this evening. Indeed, in the division, as Avmila mentioned, in the Hesped from Ravelvel of Erosin and Nisuin, I think it would be fair to claim that the Rav was one of those who was in the realm of Nisuim, Nisuim to Torah. The great hope is that we're all part of the Erosin. It's a great hope. It's a, it's a great accomplishment. But for sure, the Rav is married to Torah. And when Chazal say, it's because even if there was some type of what might be considered idle chatter, what might be considered, there was Torah content and there was Torah feeling and sensitivity. I cannot share the way Rav Miller got into the Rav Shir. <laughs> I heard the Rav Shir when I was in high school. My father, Rishalom, brought me to the Tshuva Drasha. And I remember him prepping me for, with the notes, with the, with the Mare Mekomot. I went regularly for several years to the Tuesday night Shir in Midtown Manhattan. We learned Masechet Ta'anit, Masechet Sukkot, Zulul HaGozel till the end of the Masechet. Quite a few years. And I had the schut of being in the Rav Shir as part of the Smicha program from 74 to 77. The first day, the day before the first day of the Shir, my brother Rabbi Yosef Adler, Kadosh Baruch before Shlema, my brother was the Rav Shamas at the time. And he called me up and he said, Arla, you want to be the Rav's driver this year? I said, yes. I hung up the phone and I fainted. <laughs> I'm not joking. Until I pulled myself together. One second. I, this is 1974 and I have a 64 Chevrolet. 
and the Rav's going to be in my car, and I'm going to be able to talk to him. I wasn't even at the shear yet officially. I said, yes, we'll do it. So I remember the first Tuesday, I was going to be on for Tuesdays to bring the Rav from LaGuardia, and also on Wednesdays when the Rav was in New York and he had appointments in different places, and those were amazingly interesting, to go to a shiva, to go to a meeting, to go to a bikachaylam. I came to LaGuardia Airport the first Tuesday I was there, at least an hour before the Rav showed up in Logan Airport in Boston. I was so nervous. I was so nervous. Until the Rav came out, okay, and he had a dollar bill in his hand to pay for the toll in Triborough Bridge, 50 cents. For those of you who know, it's a lot more than 50 cents today. And he figured I would need about two quarters for the parking. He didn't realize that that day I spent about $10 on the parking. But that's usually what it became, two quarters to pick up the Rav. And the truth is, any of us would have paid $100 for the schut. But the Rav was very careful about people's monies. And that's one of the stories in the book that I wrote about conversations that I had with the Rav. And, you know, I, you don't need me to tell you that the Rav was one of the greatest Lamdanim, if not the greatest of the last century. And maybe even centuries before. And you don't need me to tell you that the Rav was about Machshava, even though there were plenty of fellows in the Rav Shir who absorbed the, the Lamdus part but the machshava part was for other people. Okay, that was fair game. The Rav was an orator, and he was a perfectionist as a speaker, whether it was in Yiddish, his mother tongue, or in English. And he spoke with fervor. He could hold a crowd for four hours. In the yardside chair of Gimel Shvat, I'm not exaggerating. There are people here who remember four hours from 8 p.m. to midnight. The Yartzeit Shev, his father, the Tshuva Drasha before Yom Kippur, he had people spellbound. Tremendous, tremendous ability of articulation. What many people were not so familiar with, perhaps shul rabbis were more so, was the Rav as a darshan. Somehow or another, in the world of Litvashi Yeshivas, a darshan is sugbet. Is not the real McCoy. You're a London. So I actually took it as a great compliment when Rabbi Fabian Schoenfeld, the great rabbi from the young Israel of Kew Garden Hills for who knows how long, told me that the Rav told him that he has many Talmidim, some became big Lamdanim, very few became Darshanim. Adler became a Darshan. And I was very, very happy. Very happy. Why? Because in the car, this was a laboratory for me. I experimented. I tried out drushes with the Rav. And the Rav was critical. I mean, he didn't say that it was nonsense. Even if he thought it was nonsense, he would fix it up a little bit and show me how to make this into a king-sized drusha. He actually polished my style which I'm indebted to until this very day. On the page that was handed out, just look at source number four. I'm not going to read all these that are all drashot. Source number four, because I want to talk about Pesach Sheni. If you haven't figured it out, tonight is Yudalit Iyar. And we'll get to that on the second page. 
But on source number four, Ishi We know that, and everyone will learn Kiddushin, Daf Chavteh, Daf Lamed, difference between Kavod and Morah, and then why Imo Lifnei Aviv, and why Aviv Lifnei Imo. Fine, this is standard Torah to understand the contrast between Kavedet Avicha Vikimecha and Yitro, and Ishimo Aviv Tirao in Parshat Kedoshim. But there is a Medrash found in the Yalkut Shemoni that says that HaKadosh Baruch repeated the Aseret brought in Parshat Kedoshim. It's not in the order, and it's certainly not in the identical formulation. I mean, this is not Parshat Vetchanan, but it's there, and it sets it up. Ani Hashem Lokechem corresponds to Anoch Hashem Lokecha. Altifnu El Ha'elilim corresponds to Lo Yelech Halim Achem Apanai. Et Shabtutai Tishmoru corresponds to Zachod Yom Shabbat Lekacho. Ishimov of Tirao corresponds to Kabaret Avicha. Lo Tignovu, Lo Tignov. It's all there. There's only one difference. In Parshat Kedoshim, it's all in Lashon Rabim. And in Parshat Yitro, it's all in Lashon Yechid. And you might think that means that Kedosh Baruch Hu is giving the Torah to the individual, and then that's Yitro, and he gives it to the Klal Yisrael in Parshat Kedoshim. It's just the opposite. There's an etziv in Parshat Hazinu that when the Torah speaks in Loshen Rabim, it's talking to the individuals as part of a crowd. And when the Torah speaks in Loshen Yechid, in the singular, it's talking about the collective whole of Klal Yisrael. And therefore, Aseret Debrot was given to Klal Yisrael, and Parshat Kedoshim was given to everybody as individuals. Fine, that's a sheer in itself. To explain difference, it spills over to Sfirat HaOmer, Tisperuch HaMishim Yom, and Shiva Shavot Tisperlach. One is the counting of the individuals, one is the counting of Klai Yisrael. Beseda. The, um, the question that I raised to the Rav was, why does it say Ish? Imova Viftirao. If on a general sense, without getting into the specifics of Kavod, Morah, and so on, it's the repeat, it's the repetition of honoring parents. Why does it say Ish? So Rav said, what do you think? I said, what I think is that children growing up, even as they're adolescents, they don't really need Kavedot Avira Vedimecha in the Torah. My gosh, the basic Hagarata Tov. Parents are giving you everything. You don't understand that you have the basic respect for parents? You know when this all starts? When you become an Ish. When you're a married family man, you have your own children, your own issues, as they say, your own tsaris, and you have to worry about your own household, but you are blessed with aging parents, and you don't always have the opportunity of dealing with it. The Torah says, Ish, don't you forget, of Imo ve'aviv tirau. And for the umphiest time, the Rav said, it's a very nice drasha. <laughs> it is a nice drasha. It says something. If you pull it, put that into the context of a talk on parental respect and so on. I recall the Rav once um, explaining the Gemara Masechet Shabbat, very famous Gemara, found in the Sugya of May Chanukah, it's not on the page yet. And it's brought down by Omer Rav Kahana, Darash Rabbi Natan Bar Minyuma Mishmei Rabbi Tanchum. An interesting headline. That headline is repeated the next line. Ve Amar Rav Kahana, 
Darash Rav Natan Bar Mishmeida Rav Nachman. And it's the famous Russia that everybody knows from Chumash and Rashi. And the Rav said, of course, the organizers of Talmud Bavli put this medrash at this point because it was already stated by the same Rav Kahana who brought the drasha of Rabbi Natan Bar Minyuma in the name of Rav Tanchum. So it was just appropriate that this happens often enough in Shas. But the Rav said these aren't accidents. He says there's some connection between the story of the Habor Reik Einbomayim and the din of Ner Hanukkah that's higher than 20 Amot, which is approximately two stories of buildings. If you live on the third floor, you already don't have the Suha Anisa of the people on the street. So what's the, what might be the connection? So the Rav said that Chazal realized that people don't walk around gazing up and down all around. They have the normal way of looking at things. And they don't stick their necks out. Unusual. And it would be very, very important that for halacha like Ner Hanukkah, for halacha like Sukkah, Laman you have to sense that you're sitting in the sukkah, in the, on the schach, and of course anything that has anything to do with Erevin, you have to be able to catch it, eye contact, where you'd know beyond this you cannot carry on Shabbat. So Chazal marked this as 20 amot, from normal experience. But how did they know that human beings don't stretch their necks out? From the bar of Yosef. Had they really looked carefully, they would have seen that there were snakes and scorpions down there. But they didn't look carefully. They looked superficially, like human beings normally do. They took a peek, and it was empty. And Chazal said, that's what the way human beings are. And we have to take that into consideration when considering the upper limit of height for these three halachot, Ner Hanukkah, Sukkah, and Mavod. Beyond the thought what the Rav was conveying in this Gemara was also methodology. And that is, when the Gemara gives a halacha and follows it up with Agadot Chazal, so in some yeshivas, they skip Agadah. It's not for them. They learn halacha. Like the Rif filtered out the Agadah. <laughs> the Rav was challenged by Agadah. So in the day-to-day shir in the yeshiva, there we didn't hear so much of it. But at the Maria Shul for Balabatim Tuesday night, and certainly for the Shuvad Russia and for the Yardside Shir, this was the Rav's trademark. We would begin the Shuvad Russia with a, a, a section of the Rambam of the Chot Shuva, and it's going to be a halachic discussion, a contradiction perhaps, a, a, a subtlety in the Rambam's language. I recall the Rav once beginning the Shuvad Russia. And it was in Yiddish. I'm sure all of you speak Yiddish, because if you're not, you never would have understood Moshe Rabbeinu at Har Sinai, right? <laughs> the Rav started by saying, Rabbeisai, Eveisus, this is the Rambam, of Erzokterreich, is Geld nicht sein, the Drosha. You know it's the same Rambam, but I'm promising you it's not going to be the same Drosha. He might start with the same source, Rambam, Uchot, Shuva, Perak, Aleph, Alech, Aleph, and take it to a completely different direction. But it was a halachic discussion. And then, it moved into a philosophical idea, a hashkafa idea. And what the Rav used was homiletic tools 
to move into the realm of the Machshava. And that's called Drush Machshavti. Drush Machshavti is not regular sermonic, but it could be used for sermonic material. But it was specifically to be anchored in halachic constructs and then to build from there many, many lofty ideas that to a large degree were practical. The Rav had something to say to society, to his generation, to people, to the human contemporary situation. And I recall we were learning Masechet Sukkah, Daf Memvav, and there the Gemara brings a, um, an interesting question of Hayul Lefanov Mitzvot Harbei. person has two mitzvahs to do. The classic case in context is you go into the sukkah and you want to take Arba Minim. And according to the Rambam, the bracha on the sukkah is not for eating necessarily, but just going into the sukkah. And you have to already say Leishib sukkah. So you could go into the sukkah and take Arba Minim. So you have in front of you two mitzvot. Can you somehow combine the bracha or do you have to make two separate brachot? The machloket. So Chachamim say you can have a general bracha, Asher Kitshanu Mitzvot Ala Mitzvot. And Rav Yudah says that you have to make a bracha, I'll call mitzvah, mitzvah. Each mitzvah gets its own bracha. Then the Gemara goes on to tell us, Halacha ke Rabbi Yehuda. Fine. But who says Halacha ke Rabbi Yehuda? It's um, Rabbi Zeira, and some say Rabbi Chinina Bar Papa. says Halacha ke Rabbi Yehuda. And then the Gemara says, and what's the reason for Rabbi Yehuda? My time is Rabbi Yehuda. It's the same Rabbi Zeira, Vitema Rabbi Chinina Bar Papa. And it says, it says, Baruch Hashem Yoyim Yoyim. Every day you have to itemize the shevach, the praise to Kadosh Baruch Hu. So every mitzvah you have to itemize. Fine. And then the Gemara continues. Interesting drash. Comparing human beings with a Kadosh Baruch Hu. And, well, what, what, what's the difference here? <laughs> a lot of differences, obviously. But how the Kadosh Baruch Hu uh, relates to us. So, bidat basar vadam, human beings, the melech sits inside, melech yosheh b'fnim, ve'am mishamrim otobo v'chutz, and the people guard him from the outside. The Kadosh Baruch is just the opposite. The people sit inside, and the Kadosh Baruch guards from the outside. So, once again, I just read um, uh, a bo'orei that I wasn't planning to read. Bo'orei shalok ki midat ha-Kadosh Baruch midat basar vadam, midat basar vadam, kli reikan machzik, if the vessel is empty, then it can hold something. But if it's Malay, it's going to overflow. It can't hold anymore. Rakadosh Baruch Hu is just the opposite. If it's Malay, it's Machzik. But if it's Reik, if it's empty, it can't hold anything. As it says, Vahayim Shemoa Tishma. Im Shemoa as Tishma. If you're going to hear, pay attention to the mitzvot, you're going to hear more. Vim Lav, Lo Tishma, you're not going to hear anything. Interesting. Fine. What does that have to do with the halacha? This sugya finds a parallel in Masechet Brachot, in Ketzim of Orchen, with the question of bracha on boiled vegetables, on vegetables, on vegetables. So on vegetables you make bar priyadama. But the, there's a shita that you actually divide between different types of vegetables, of dishaim uh, and zraim, and there'd be a bracha, borei minei zraim, borei minei dishaim. It's the view of Rabbi Yehuda. Chachamim say, no, you rakot, you make bar priyadama. And the Gemara says, who else? Omer Rab Zeira, Vitema Rab Papa. So here it says, Ain Alacha Kerab Yehuda. You ever hear making, anybody making a bracha, Borei Menei Deshaim, or Borei Menei Zraim? Nobody makes that bracha. So, just to make life a little complicated, 
if you're familiar with the Dictekos Sofrim that brings the Nusach of the Gemara of the Tav Yad Minchin, it says Halacha Kerebiuda. The word Ein isn't there. But in the printed Vilna Shas, it says Ein Halacha, and that's the Halacha. That's the way it makes it in the Rambam, Shulchan Aruch, and so on. So, fine. So you have Ein Halacha Kerebiuda. And then the Gemara says the same thing. My time of the Rebiuda. Explaining Rebiuda, you just rejected. It says the same thing. Baruch Hashem Yom Yom. Every, every species deserves its own bracha. But we don't pass in like Rebuda. And then the Gemara continues. The identical, identical words from a Sechat Sukkah. I come to the car Tuesday morning. We're going to learn the Sugi and Sukkah that night. I said, Rebbe, I, I, I took note that you have the same Sugiya. But in Sukkah, we pass in like Rebuda. And you make a bracha on kol mitzvah or mitzvah. And in Brachot, we do not pass in the Rebuda. And we have the general bracha, on vegetables. Why is that? It's the identical rationale. And the Rav looks at me and he says, so what do you think? He knew, he already knew that if I'm asking the question, obviously I'm coming with an answer. So I gave what I thought would be an interesting answer. That the Agadah is actually going to teach us the difference between Midat Basar Vadam and Midat HaKadosh Baruch Hu. When it comes to mitzvah, it's midat hakadosh baruch hu, and therefore the more the merrier. And therefore, if you do one mitzvah, you can do another mitzvah and another mitzvah. Vayem shemoa tishma, and therefore you can make another bracha and another mitzvah that has its independence. Whereas when it comes to midat basav adam, when you fill up and you eat, if you continue eating, it's going to be achila gasa. It's going to be repugnant. It's it's going to be kli malei eno machzik. You can't hold anymore. And therefore, who knows if the bracha might not even be a bracha lebatala. Just make one bracha and eat. And that's it. And I thought this was just a very nice explanation using the Agadah to explain both views in both places. And the Rav nodded, you know, as if, okay, but didn't get particularly good marks for that. And um, comes Tuesday night, you know, the Rav walks in, sits down, somebody helps him with his coat, sits down, somebody puts the microphone on his neck, and there's a lot of tension. About 250, 300 people every Tuesday night for this weekly shear. An hour and a half tomorrow, half hour parashat Shavuah of the week before, by the way. The Rav said, I don't want my shear to be the studio for all the rabbis drushes this coming Shabbos. So if they remember from last year, that's fine. That's what he said. Okay, sits down, and he begins the shear. Man driver hat gefrekt. My driver asked. And I wasn't sitting next to my brother, Rabbi Yosef. He was sitting a few feet away, and he looks at me and he goes, what was the problem? The Rav didn't give my answer. He gave a different answer, a more halakhically based answer. He said the question. So obviously it moved him enough to give some thought during the day that he's going to begin with this, but he was kind enough to give me credit at least for the question. You know, that's no, no small matter. So now, what was that? So you look at Rav Heshi Reichman's Sefer in Masechet Sukkah, and he printed what the Rav said, okay? I should remember that also. Yeah, the Rav talked about Hasmad, Hatmada, and learning. He went into the whole issue of Talmud Torah. Okay, Masada. If you turn the page, the second side, to source number 14, I'm in love with the number 14. Why? 
I have a sefer coming out, Mitzvah Shem, in a few months. It's called Al Kainfein Sharim. It's all my research and Rambam studies for the last 40 years. The Rambam was in love with the number 14. Tonight is the 14th of the year. The um, name Al Kainfein Sharim of my sefer is number one. The Rambam was the Nesher Agadol. For those who don't know, if I were to Hebraicize my name here in Israel, I would be Nesher. Adler is Nesher. The Chsam Seifer had a Rebbe, Rav Nosan Adler, who was not related to our family. Chsam Seifer called him the Nesher Agadol. So there was a Nesher Agadol in the 12th century and a Nesher Agadol in the 19th century. Figure Nesher is writing on a Nesher, can be already Al Kamfei Nesherim. The, the number of use of 14, the number 14, is not only for Mishnah Torah. And by the way, the Rambam never called his Sefer Yad Chazakah, never, even though that's what we use it for today. Yud Dalid, 14. Rav son-in-law, Rav Professor Yitzhak Tversky, Zechariah Lebracha, in this famous monumental book on the introduction to Mishnah Torah of the Rambam and subsequent articles that were printed by my friend, uh, Rav uh, Professor Karmi Horowitz, just came out uh, just a year and a half ago, two years ago, on the articles, all in Hebrew now, of Rav Tversky. So Rav Tversky points out that the first time the book Mishnah Torah, as the Rambam called it, was referred to as Yad Chazakah, was in the 13th century in southern France, in Provence. And it was actually a very polite way of, sites, of downgrading the Mishnah Torah, the centrality of the Mishnah Torah. On the turf of Provence, for 100 years, was an issue, what is going to be the safer that we're going to study when we study Torah Shabbat Is it going to be a Gemara? With the Rambam on the side, is it going to be the Rambam on the shtender and the Gemara on the side? And you have a plethora of perushim, chidushim, from Chachmi Provence on the Rambam. And they were learning Rambam. That was their core safer. Whereas others were learning Gemara. And they were writing the chidushim. And Rafsky says the one who gave, delivered the Makkah of Patish that it's going to be Gemara was the Meiri. Rabbeinu Menachem HaMeiri who writes a whole parish on Shas. He incorporates Rambam, no doubt. But the, one of the ways that they wanted to downscale the centrality of Mishnah Torah of the Rambam and not to accept the idea that the Rambam said, read Tanakh, read my book, and you're done. The question is what he meant by that. But first, he has a lot to say about that too. But he does say it in his introduction. Read Tanakh and read my Sefer and you are... You have everything to know about Torah Shabbat Mishnah Torah. That's why I call it Mishnah Torah. That point they wanted to downscale. So they gave it a nice nickname, Yad Chazakah. It's based on the last Pasuk and Torah. Yad Chazakah, Moshe Rabbeinu, B'Mitzrayim. You have all the coordinates there. You have Moshe Rabbeinu, B'Mitzrayim. He was a Balmo faith, not in the Hasidish sense, but certainly in a Torah sense. And it says the Yad Chazakah, number 14, fine. But number 14 finds its expression in Sefer Mitzvot with the 14 introductory klalim or shorashim, what I call the ground rules. What's a mitzvah? That's there in, in, in Sefer Mitzvot. But not only there in Sefer Mitzvot. Sefer Mitzvot is built after the 14 uh, rules of what, what makes a pasuk into a mitzvah. How do we understand the pasuk as a mitzvah? The, and there are disputes about that, but these are the Rambam's rules. The Rambam then has two lists. Of the do's and the don'ts, the assay and lotase, from 1 to 248, from 1 to 365. 
What's the order, the logical order? One thing we know, there must be an order, because the Rabbah in a tshuva, in a response, was asked, how come Shemitat Karkaot is 134, and how come Shemitat Ksafim is several mitzvahs down the road, Kuf Memalef, 141. The Rambam could have said, eh, heh, No, he didn't say kachaze. He gives an answer. He explains to us, to the, to the questioner, what was his logic, why he did it like that. And there was another question also about Seder. And he answers that there's some log, built-in logic to the order. So nobody really put their finger on it until uh, Rabbi Professor A.B. Feintuch, a professor of mathematics in Beersheba for many, many years, acquaintance of mine. I think Rav David knows him also. Sure, sure. He gave Shurim on Sefer Mitzvot for over 30 years in the Shechuna Hay, those who know the turf in Beersheba, the Kippashul, wrote a Sefer, Pikude Yesharim, published by the Yeshiva in Malay Adumim. He was particularly close to Rav Nochem, And he recently came out with a second Sefer on more in-depth study of Sefer Mitzvot. In the first book, he demonstrates that both lists are divisible by 14. Both lists. And they correspond exactly to the, another division of 14. Not the 14 of Mishnah Torah. But in the third section of Maranavuchan, the Rambam's now 51 years old. It's years after he finished the Mishnah Torah. It's one of his later books. In the third section, he deals with Ta'ameh Mitzvot, the rationale for Mitzvot. He divides the entire Torah into 14 categories. They're similar to the breakdown of Mishnah Torah, but not identical. Or as I used the geometric, it's similar but not congruent. Clearly not congruent. I mean, the Ramam in, in Nada, the first book, has Avodah Zarah. In, in Mardavuchim, he has it in the second category. Whole issue of Avodah Zarah. So the Ramam does his own classification of mitzvot in the Mardavuchim that differs from the Mishnah Torah's classification. And Rabbi Tversky, in his big book, wrote a lot about classification. Very, very important classification. Why the Ramam put certain halachot in certain places, and so on. But obviously, the Ramam had these ideas that later ferment in Marnavuchim way back when he's 30 years old, before Mishnah Torah, and he writes the Sefer Mitzvahs. Because the lists, both the Asay and the Lot Asay, break up into 14 ex- units based on the Tameh Mitzvot that he ultimately will talk about in Moran of Uchim. So you have 14. So the Sefer Mitzvot is a triangle of 14. It's the Shorashim or Klalim as Rav Kapach translates and then it's 14 and 14. 14. Mishnah Torah, 14. What else is there? The 13 Ikarim. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. What are we going to do with that? That's in the Parish of Mishnah, right? The end of Chelek. Says Rav Nachum Rabinowitz, that's all, there are 14. It's not there, the 14th is not there. We can break our heads now why it's not there. But two people raise the possibility of what the 14th might be. Rav Nachum says it's the doctrine of Bechirach of Shit, free will. And he says in, in Hilchas Tshuva, Perikei, the Raman calls it an Ikar, he names it. Those who are familiar with uh, Rav Uri Shirki, a nice French Rav in Yerushalayim, very fine Tamachacham. So he suggested maybe it's what the Rambam has in Sefer Mitzvot, his unique, very unique approach to Kiddush HaChodesh today of the calendar being in force because of at least a minion of Am Yisrael and Eretz Yisrael. I'm not going to go into it's a shir in itself, but the Rambam actually says it's Me Yisod HaYisodot. It's one of the fundamentals. Rav Shirki says, here, bingo, it's, a, it's one of the Ikarim. 
So whatever it is, whichever it is, apparently there were 14 Ikarim. And they always say in jest, when the kids get up Friday night to sing Yigdal, you know, they always sing the second Pasuk, the last Pasuk twice. That's because it doesn't fit with the Nigan, right? No, what they're doing is they're being Miramis that there's a 14th. See? Kids have Nebuah. So the 14th is important. And Rav Lava mentioned that his shir was also published. So I wrote about Pesach Sheini in a Beis Yitzchak, one of the publications of Ritz, going back to Tavshin Lamed. One of my nephews, uh, he's now a, a, a physician, Dr. Yosef Nissenfeld, was one of the editors of uh, edition number Lamed. And it was dedicated to the honor of the uncle of my wife, who happened to have been the librarian at Mendel Gottesman Library for 50 years, Rav Berish Mandelbaum. As humble as they come, and as a giant in every sense of the word. Nobody wrote an article in YU in Judaica without sitting with Rabbi Mandelbaum. He, he was from the Mir in Shanghai, a Goenish cup, I mean, just remembered everything. So I wrote an article, I was asked for, as a family member. Today they would have asked my wife to write the article. I'm talking about Molokot Saiten, you know. He still asked me to do it. Married to the niece of. So I wrote about Pesach Sheni. And in Pesach Sheni, there is a, um, a fundamental issue. If you look at the source number 14 on the second page, Tanur Rabbanan. Maram Psachem Tzadik Gimel says, Chayav karet al rishon v'chayav karet al sheni. If you don't bring Korban Pesach in Nisan, you're, it's one of the two positive mitzvot that you're liable to onish karet, not doing a brit milah and not participating in Korban Pesach. And they're first cousins. They go together. And if you missed Pesach Sheni also that year, this karet as well. Divrei Rabbi, Rabbi Udanasi. Rabbi Natan Omer, Chayav karet al rishon, patur al sheni. We'll see what all this is about. And there's a third opinion, Hananya Rabbi Hananya ben Akavya. He says, Afal rishon, eno chayav karet, ele imkein lo asat sheni. And the Gemara goes on to explain. Each one has an interesting scenario. Ger shenit gayer ben shnei psachim. A goy. that comes on Rosh Chodesh, er, or perhaps on Yom Atzma'ut. He wants to declare Atzma'ut from his Gentile status, and he wants to become Jewish. And the Beitin accepts him between Pesach Rishon and Pesach Sheni. Does he have to bring Pesach Sheni? Yes or no? It's a question. Ger shenit gayer ben shnei psachim. And a bar mitzvah child. Just last Shabbos, we had a bar mitzvah, shul, and katamon. Chayin katan shikdil ben shnei psachim. So he was a cut, he was, a, he was not obligated a mitzvot in Nisan, but now in ER he is. So it says, Chayav lasot Pesach Sheni. Yes. Who says that? Divrei Rebbe, Rebbe Udanasi. Rabbi Natan says, No. Why? Kol she zakuk l'rishon, zakuk l'sheni. Kol she'en zakuk l'rishon, ain't zakuk l'sheni. Whoever was obligated in Pesach Rishon, for him, there's a type of makeup for Pesach Sheni. But if you weren't there, why? You were a cotton, you're not obligated, you were a goy. So there's no Pesach Sheni at all. And the Gemara says, what's really behind this machloket? Rebbe Omer, that Pesach Sheni is regal small. It's an independent chag. It's a new halachic phenomenon. It wasn't there before the Shnei Anashim Masher Ayush Tameim Adam came forth and said, Lama Nigara, what's with us? We would like 
Korban Pesach. But we're Tamei and Meit. It's not our fault. So, as they say in this country, it's a fair. And, and, and Moshe Rabbeinu accepted the argument and brought it to HaKadosh Baruch Hu. And then we got Pesach Sheni. And the, and the Chazal say, Megalgalin schut al yidei zakai. They asked properly, and therefore through them, not that we wouldn't have been Pesach Sheni if they wouldn't have come forward. There would have been some other context. But they came forward, and the Kadosh Baruch Hu gives the mitzvah through the story of these Anashim, Ashayut Meim Nenefeshadav. So Rebbe says it's Regal Pefneatzmo, it's an independent Chag. Rabbi Natan says it's Tashlumin Darishon, it's a makeup of the first, similar to Davening Mincha twice because you forgot Chakras, Tashlumin. You have a concept in Alcha Tashlumin, but it's not a Kapara, it's not a Tikkun. It's just Tashlumin, it's a makeup. Tikkun Elarishon, Lo Mitakne. You can't correct the fact that you didn't bring it in the first. Rabbi Chananya ben Akavya says, Teshini is Takanta Darishon. It's a Tikkun and Kapara. So you have basically two fundamental opinions that branch out in three. Rabbi Yudanasi on one side, saying it's an independent halacha, mitzvah, regal b'fneatzmo, an independent yomtev. And the other two fundamentally say that it's linked to Pesach Rishon. I humbly subscribe that the machloket that has traveled through the generations, whether or not tomorrow morning we're going to say tachnun, is based on this very, very core issue. Because in Minag Ashkenaz, let's just say a word. Pesach Sheni is not mentioned in the list that the Rambam says in Uchas Tfilah, Minag, Minag Pashut, which means a widespread custom, not to say Tachnun, ain't nefilat apayim, neither on Shabbatot, or Moadim, or Rosh Chodesh, and, and, and Rosh Hashanah, and Hanukkah, and Purim. He believes that Yom Kippur, there is Tachnunim. And Sfaradim say Tachnunim, by the way, a lot of Slichas, after Shmonesrei, on Yom Kippur. But the Marmurberg points out, it's quoted by the Hagot Mamaniot on the page, we don't. We don't have, we don't have Nefilat Apayim, we don't have Tachnun on Yom Kippur, because it's also a Yom Tif. That's a share in itself. The Seda. Ramam doesn't have Yom Atzmut there either. I mean, there's a lot of things. Uh, days that we don't say Tachnun. Shulchan Aruch, it gets upgraded. There's Tu B'Shvat and Tu B'Av. And, and then ultimately, like Baima gets in there, and then all kinds of uh, clunks of time, chunks of time, Olchadish Nisan, and then and Rosh, and from Rosh Chodesh Sivan until after Shavuos, until after Yud Bet Lachodesh, perhaps, and, and from Erev Yom Kippur until Rosh Chodesh Cheshvan, all kinds of days that we don't say Tachnun, and then comes all the other Erans, a Chassan, and, and, and a Brit, and who, who, who's a Brit? I mean, there are shuls that there's just never Tachnun, because the Moyal Davin's there, and uh, that's it. They don't even know what Tachnun is. Pesach Shein is not there. In all likelihood, Amishol said Tachnon on Pesach Shein. And there's actually good reason for it, because why not? Is it a Yom Tov on any level? So the Or HaShulchan, Levi Epstein, who's already deep into the late 19th century, the Or HaShulchan comes out. He says, um, says uh, it's a Pele. It's a Pele that we don't, that it's not there. That doesn't say we should delete Tachnon. It's a Pele. That does not include Pesach Sheni. And he says, but Svardim don't say Tachnun. I'm not sure until this very day. Did he mean Eidot HaMizrach? Because I know the Svaradim for many, many generations didn't say Tachnun on Pesach Sheni. Or did he mean Chsidim? Who daven Nusuch Svard. Could have meant them too. And they don't say Tachnun for a variety of other reasons. Matter of fact, they don't say Tachnun. You know, finished. Maybe because they never do a virus, so there's nothing to say Tachnun for. Okay. The, um, I don't know. But Orchashon just points it out. But from then on, 20th century, you look at all the shul calendars, you look at various Sifrei Halacha, Sidurim, 
And the Rav always told us, you don't pass Kanaloha from the Siddur, you know, the Siddur. You know, some indication that... And tomorrow, I guarantee you, if somebody here says Tachnun, they, you know, they're going to point it out. It's Pesach Shani. You don't say Tachnun. I went to high school in Borough Park, the communist yeshiva. And I remember the chazan was ninth grade. The chazan, one, one of the guys in the yeshiva was Shlich Tzibur, and said Kaddish right after Chazal Shatz. And the, um, the principal, my principal, who in, later becomes the mechutin of my great rabbi, Rabbi Aaron Lichtenstein, I'm talking about Rabbi Chaim Grzovsky, who's principal of yeshiva, and he says, Vuziz, what's going on? And somebody says, Pesach Sheni. And he says, Asvuziz, what is, what's going on? What's going on? Who said, who says Pesach Sheni? We delete Tachnun. No, we're going to say Tachnun. That was the only time in my life I ever said Tachnun on Pesach Sheni. Because every time I dive in some shul context, they always skip Tachnun on Pesach Sheni. If Pesach Sheni is a regal b'fneatzbom, an independent Yom Tov, and it was designed exclusively for the minority of Am Yisrael that may have been Tmei mate, the minority, then they, those people would have the option for Pesach Sheni. But if the majority of Am Yisrael was Tmei mate, then they can actually conceivably bring the Korban Pesach with Tuma as Tuma Hutra B'tzibur Halacha kicks in. So by definition, Pesach Sheni has nothing to do with the cloud. It has to do with a minority of individuals who fit the bill to be obligated in Pesach Sheni. And if that's the case, it has nothing to do with us. Nothing at all to do with us. Why should you say Tachna? It's not a Yom But, if you take the second opinion, or the third opinion, that link Pesach Sheni somehow to Pesach Rishon, that it's a derivative of Pesach Rishon, we're all part of Pesach Rishon, whether there is a Beit HaMikdash or not, irrespective. And therefore, if Pesach Sheni nourishes its spiritual nourishment from Pesach Rishon, Zakuk Rishon, then there's something there on Pesach Sheni that has to do with Klau Yisrael. And if you want to think that it's Epis, okay, you remember the Mishnah in Masechet uh, Rosh Hashanah, that on six months they would send Shluchot Beitin to inform on Rosh Chodesh, and the Mishnah ends with Af Iyar Mishum Pesach Katan. The, the Chazal didn't call it Pesach Sheni, they called it Pischa Zeira, which means the or Pesach Katan, and so on. It got the nickname Pesach Sheni. Do you know where, what else was called Pesach Sheni? The, in the Meiri, in his introduction to Shas, Meiri says that originally, in the, the breakup of Shisha Sidre Mishnah, uh, Masech Pesachim was two Masechot. It was Perak Aleph, Bet, Gimel, Dalet, and Yud. All you wanted to know about Chomets and Matzah and Leila Seder, but too scared to ask, that was Masechet Pesach Rishon. And Prakim Hei Vav Zayin Chetet was all about Korban Pesach, and that was called Masechet Pesach Sheni. And in the days of the Ga'inim, the two Masechot were forged into one, and that's why it's in plural, Masechet Pesachim. Whereas that's not Masechet Sukkot, it's Masechet Sukkah. All the others are in singular. But Pesachim is in plural, because it's the merger of two Masechot, Pesach Rishon and Pesach Sheni. So there we have Pesach Sheni, but that's not about Pesach Sheni exclusively. It happens to talk a little bit about Pesach Sheni and Perichet, but, uh, but that's not what it is. It's just volume two, and so on, of Masechet and it's interesting that when the Rambam writes the Mishnah Torah, he takes it apart. He takes it apart with Masechet Pesachim because the issues of Korban Pesach he puts in Sefer Korbanot under the headline Hilchot Korban Pesach and the issues of Chametz and Leila Seder, which are the issues of Prakim Alavet Gimel Dalet and Yud he puts into Hilchot Chametz So Imamish takes that which was and that's his uh, division. So you have these uh, interesting ideas. But I believe there's another story here. 
the identity of those people who came from Moshe, before Moshe Rabbeinu. And they asked, Lama Nigara, who are these people? So there's a Gemara Masechet Sukkah, Dav Kafhei, on the bottom, number 16. And it says there are three opinions. Who are those 16? Who are those? So one opinion is, Right? There were those who said that Moshe Rabbeinu remembered the, the, the oath that, that Yaakov, Yosef administers the end of Parshat Vayichi, Ki and Moshe Rabbeinu sees to it whether he himself, the Medrash says, but it seems from here that there was a Chavar Kedisha, and there were people who carried the Aron of the bones of Yosef. So they're Tamei Meit. So they're Tamei Meit. They're doing a big mitzvah. And now they're caught. They can't bring the Korban Pesach because they're Tamei Meit. So that's one opinion. That is the opinion of Divrei Rabbi Yosef Glili. Rabbi Kiva says, no, it was Mishael and El Tzafan, those who brought Nadav and Aviyu to Kfura. They were the cousins. Mishael and El Tzafan. Now, one second. Here you have to backtrack. We grew up with Chumash and Rashi. And, um, and you grew up with Chumash and Rashi. So Vahiba Yamashmini was Rosh Chodesh Nisan. So then, if Nadav and Aviyu died on Rosh Chodesh Nisan, you, they would have eight days to go through the process of Paraduma, and there wouldn't be a problem for Mishael and El Tzafan to bring Korban Pesach. But there's another opinion. It's Rabbi Akiva's opinion. Fahiba Yamashmini is the eighth of Nisan. And the whole question is, when does seven days of Miluim start? Did it start on Rosh Chodesh, like Rabbi Akiva says? Or did it start a week before Rosh Chodesh, like others say? According to Rabbi Akiva, if Chet Nisan was Vahiba Yamashmini, then Mishael and Tzafan had no halakhic possibility of becoming Tahorim before Pesach, because it's six days till the 14th. It's not going to happen. Well, so therefore, Rabbi Akiva has to say, it could be, it was them. And why did the Rabbi Yosei say it was no say Aron Osha Yosef? Because he figured that Mishael and Safan died on Rosh Chodesh. So they couldn't be them. And there's the third opinion. Rabbi Yitzhak says, well, maybe if it was no say Aron Osha Yosef, maybe they could have been Mitahar. Am Yisrael didn't move every day. So the Aron, they were, they, were sta- they were stationary. They could have gone through the process. And if it was Mishael and Safan, they could also, if it happened on Rosh Chodesh. So what's left? The Malach wasn't on strike there's these days in the Midbar, and people died. Anybody who sustained the loss of an immediate relative had a din of, had to deal with a mate mitzvah. So sometimes we think mate mitzvah is with regard to Nazir and Koen Godel, Yavolav mate befeta fitom. That's a classic case. But no less, Yavolav mate befeta fitom is a person who's healthy and all of a sudden gets a sudden heart attack, a dom lev or a stroke and passes away right away. These things happen with a snap of the finger. So it was like the Feta Pitom, and they're caught with a new situation. They're Tameyim mate because they have to deal with the Kfura of their relative, and they want to know about Korban Pesach. So you have these three possibilities. And absorbing something from the Rav's methodology of drafting Agoda into service, of understanding Halacha, I propose, and this is what I wrote in the article, that these three opinions of the identity of who were the Anashim, Asher Yutmim, Nefesh Adam, correspond to the three halachic opinions on the definition of Pesach Sheni. So let's take it one by one. 
If you believe, like Rabbi Yudanasi, that it was regal b'fneat small, this would correspond to the opinion that those people were the anonymous people who family members passed away. And a new situation occurred. A moment ago, everything was just perfect. Preparing for Pesach. They perhaps even picked their shepsala, their keves. And, and all of a sudden, snap at a finger, and they realize they cannot fulfill this obligation. And the Kedosh Baruch Hu said, because you asked correctly from genuine source of Yerat Shamayim and willing to fulfill mitzvot, Kedosh Baruch Hu will give you also a new situation. You experience a brand new situation, a novel situation. The response is going to be a novel situation. Unheard of to Klal Yisrael before. Pesach Sheni. Regel b'fnei Something very, very new and novel. Tailor-made to your situation. Second opinion is those who carried the Aron of Yosef. And I believe that that corresponds to the second opinion in the Gemara of Tashlumin. Makeup. Why? See, when the Rambam talks about the issues of Eretz Yisrael, I remember it was pointed out once in the very important book by a great student of the Rav, um, Rabbi Professor Jerry Yaakov Blitzstein, Zichonol Levracha. He wrote an important sefer on both Rambam Milchus and Rambam, the last book of Sefer Shoftim. And there he shows in Dafkin both of these books, Rambam does something very interesting. On Tefillah B'Tzibur question, the Rambam actually believes that it's not obligatory to rush to daven with a minion. On the other hand, if you daven with a minion, the Rambam goes on to laud Tefillah B'Tzibur. There's so many add-ons, and not only um, sometimes extras like Kedusha and Borchu and Kriyas Atayim and Berchas Kayanim and so on, but the very value of Tefillah B'Tzibur and the qualitative edge no doubt. And the Ramam speaks in length about Philip Sibor. And yet, when it comes to the putting the finger down, yes or no, am I obligated? Not necessarily. Not necessarily. Why does the Ramam do that? So, Rav Lutzin explains that although the, in his halachic thinking, the Ramam thought that it wasn't a matter of an absolute obligation, but he's recommending this, the of recommendation. Go for it. It's really, really important. And Dr. Blitchin points out it's the exact same thing with regard to Yishuvaretz. The Rambam does not include living in Eretz Yisrael as one of the 613. The Ramban does, but the Rambam doesn't. I mean, there you have a lot of Torah. I heard from, from the Rav, the Rav, and Rav Aaron He wrote an article on this that there's a kiyom of Yishuvaretz Yisrael in the level of Daraisa. But it's not a chiyav. Everybody agrees. In the Rambam, it's not there in the Sefer Mitzvot. That's why in Sefer Chinuch, it's not there. Fine. But in Perak Hay of Hilchot Milachim, the Rambam can't stop talking about the value of Yishuv Aretz. And he basically summarizes the Gemara in Ketubot, Kufyud, Kufyud Aleph. I mean, I love the one about the Kifei de Akko. When the ship came to the port of Akko, throwing kisses. It's like people do at the Kotel. You have to be in love with Eretz Yisrael also. Mishum Chibat Eretz Yisrael. So I, I don't have a lot of chumras in life. Uh, that's the way I am. But this is one chumra I have. Give a kiss to Eretz Yisrael when I come back. Somebody once said about Rabbi Riskin, he loves er- the mitzvah of coming to Eretz Yisrael. He fulfills it 30 times a year. It's, uh, <laughs> I'm not there. I'm not there. And it, Rabbi Riskin likes that, by the way. It's not Loshonor. He likes that. He thinks it's very good. They, but I, 
I do have an issue that I come back. I go for reasons that I have to go. I come back. So it used to be you went down the ladder. You go down. Give a kiss. The first time they opened up Natbag Alpayim, you know when they opened up Natbag Alpayim in 2006? Right? They were calling it already Natbag Shlosha Talafim. They weren't sure when it was going to open. But it finally opened in 2006. I'm getting off the plane here, and, and I'm on the, the sleeve, on the, and I stop. And a stewardess, a flight attendant, Melal says, Yishbaya? I said, yeah. I don't know where to give the kiss to Eretz Yisrael. Do I have to wait to go to the terminal now? Or maybe outside the terminal? So she tells me, you can do it right here, because the sleeve is mechubar lekarka shel Eretz Yisrael. Now, where does she learn? I don't know. That's a mission in Gittin. <laughs> it's not a mission in Gittin, a mechubar lekarka. Mechubar lekarka. And that's what I do now. I walk on the plane. Eretz Yisrael. In America, I go, fuya, you know, like you have something else to do. Right? The Ramam says in a, in a tshuva, in a letter, you're not to live in a city where there's a base of Avedah Zara. That's what he says. So, unfortunately, we sometimes go to cities that have Bate Avodah Zara. But um, here, the idea of Kfura Be'eretz Yisrael is dealt with by the Ramam. Now, there are two opinions in the Gemara. Is it good for the Jews or not? And the Rambam takes a stand, and he says, "Tzel mad vinu You know, it can go either way here. There's sides to both sides of the coin here. There's logic to both sides. But you see that Yaakov Vinu requested it. Yosef requested it. What's the difference between Yaakov and Yosef? Why does he have to have Yosef? Because Yaakov dies in Mitzrayim, and he asks for Kfura in Eretz Yisrael. Fine, we got the point. But Yosef dies in Mitzrayim and is buried in Mitzrayim. And he asked for reinterment in Eretz Yisrael. That's something new. You have to have a Sif and Shulchan Aruch to allow you to reinter because of the question of Kovar and so on. So there's a heter. There's a heter. You should know there's a true from Rosh Feinstein when they brought Montefiore. He wasn't too happy about this uh, idea. But so it's done. We know it's done. But not everybody does it. But the idea that there's an allowance, halakhic allowance of reburial in Eretz Yisrael means that it's possible to talk about tashlumen when it comes to burial in Eretz Yisrael. You can be buried once, but there's mo'ed bet. There's a second chance. And the ones who understood it better than anybody else were those who were carrying the coffin, the bones of Yosef, the Aronoshel Yosef. And they asked about Pesosheni. And the Kadosh Baruch said, you know what, for you, you'll have a Yom Tov that's going to be tashlumen. That's going to be the idea. And with regard to uh, Mishael and Tzafan, here... You have to have a whole shear on the deaths of Mishael and Al-Safan. And of Nadav and Aviyu, rather. And Nadav and Aviyu, going to Chazal, became swept up as part of the korbanot of the day. Again, a shear in itself. But one thing is clear. After the episode is over, the Torah comes back to it. And then you talk about Yom Kippur. Then you talk about Yom Kippur. And the Chazal say, it's a Yerushalmi in Yuma. It says, Mulamecha mitat tzadikim mechaperet. Lama nismecha mitat nadava viyu to the avodat yom ha-kippurim. Mulamecha mitat tzadikim mechaperet. There's something about the deaths of Nodav and Aviyu that has something to do with kapora. And right in the Chama Leib, where pointed out that the phrases of the Torah, where it says in Parashat Shmini, um, where, where it says, um, um, uh, and 
two psukim later, the exact same words, is used for the deaths of Nodan Avil, which suggests that there's something there. And again, it's a long share to explain what the reasons, what might be behind this, uh, why Nodan Avil died. But one thing is clear, Mishael and Ansafan was probably got it better than anybody else. They were involved in the Kfura of Nodan Avil. So Kedosh Baruch Hu said, for you, you will have a Yom Tov of Kapara. That the whole Pesach Sheni is going to be of a Kapara and Tikkun and Kapara nature. So what I did here was I took three items of Agoda from the Gemara Sukkah Davkav Hay and applied it to the Machloket Imsachim of the three opinions. Is it Emet La Mitash Torah? I don't know. But you know what? I don't even care. Because what's important is that we can engage in Torah thought by utilizing the Agadah. No, I mentioned about the number 14. I'm just going to conclude. The number 14, um, Rav Kapach mentions in his various footnotes in the Sefer Mitzvot and the Moran Avuchim, says the number 14 was Chaviv al Rabbeinu. The Rambam must have loved this number. Nobody has ever come forth with a serious suggestion. So I have a suggestion, but I'm not sure it's a serious suggestion, but nevertheless, I put it in writing. We have a letter from the Rambam's grandson, Rabbi David ben Abraham ben Arambam. The Rambam was born on Erev Pesach, and his birthday is the 14th of Nisan. And he may have been linked to that number. And it's not an accident that the family calls him Moshe. And he had an older bro- a younger brother, rather, who was the business person who dies in dr- drowns in the Indian Ocean with all his wares. His name was David. You have the genealogy of the Rambam of 10 generations back at the end of Pirush Mishnah. There's no David there, there's no Moshe there. He's not named after anybody. His father, Rabbeinu Maimon, gives names that are meaningful. Maybe a David Amelech, maybe a Moshe, born in Erev Pesach. Vayar Kitovhu, when Moshe Rabbeinu was born, they had high hopes for the Rambam. Rightly so, no doubt. And it's possible that the Rambam did have this number 14 in mind. When he uses that number for every single halachic book, that he writes, without exception. It just cannot be, as Rav Kapach says, he writes there, it just can't be for no reason. It's got to be some reason. And it could be that it's the 14th of the birthday. could be. And, the, um, and we know that um, the, 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 uh, beyond, beyond just uh, the, the, the number 14, there's also the idea that the Rambam has one son, and his name was Abraham. Again, there's no Abraham. So I have all sheer, I believe that the Rambam had five mentors, and his earliest mentor was Abraham Avinu, an acquaintance of mine in Boston who told me maybe that's the reason that he calls his son Abraham. Possible. The Rambam shows how connected he is with Abraham Avinu theologically, with morality and ethics, with so many different things. He sees himself as a Ben Abraham Avinu, and a Talmud of Abraham Avinu, no doubt. We had a great schut of learning by the greatest and hearing from the greatest and siftotav dovavot bekever whenever we continue teaching about our Rebbe. And yes, I had two grandfathers, but I always felt I had a third and the rough to a large degree was my spiritual grandfather and we had that kind of 
unusually close relationship for a New Yorker. Because the Bostonians were all close with the Rav. That was a different parish. I mentioned in my book, Tale of Two Cities. It was Boston and New York. And the New Yorkers froze. Froze. But the Rav was such a machmir in a Satoiv, such a machmir, he never called on me once in the shear. <laughs> never, never. And he never, never stopped me on the Triborough Bridge on some point because he thought maybe I'd leave him off. And that wouldn't happen. And I remember on the 20th yard site, 20, 10 years ago, um, Dr. Tobel Lichtenstein, uh, the Rav's daughter, invited me to be one of the speakers there at an event in Alon Shvut in Yad Shapira. I mentioned that I used to drive on the right-hand lane slowly to squeeze another five minutes out of the Rav's attention. And Tova tells me after the shear, says, you know, and I know, my father was a smart man. He knew exactly what you were doing. Never said a word to you. Never said a word to you. Okay, and maybe it's true, but the Rav gave me the time and the patience and the attention. And I can say, B'siyata Deshmaya, it really made me who I am today. Thank you, everybody, for coming. Uh, again, I want to thank um, uh, Yeshiva University in Israel, uh, Stephanie Strauss, uh, YU Reitz, uh, Mark Penner, uh, Mizrahi, World of Mizrahi, Rodon Perez, OU, Avi Berman. Of course, I want to thank the six shuls, particularly Netzach Menashe, here tonight, uh, the uh, for Achsanya, of course, Vardit and Avi Spiegelman, in honor of uh, Rabbi Mordechai Spiegelman. I want to thank all the people that helped uh, prepare the food outside, uh, Rabbi Moshe Davis, uh, David Flammeltz, uh, David Rosenbaum. Uh, thank you, guys. I also want to thank, uh, we, we're still in the next one, next week, we have uh, Rabbanit Esti Rosenberg for our sixth year. Um, we have a seventh year coming up as part of the six-part series. Uh, Rabbi Chaim Milson, who could make it tonight, will be coming uh, Erev uh, Shavuos, stay tuned for that. But I want to thank David uh, Rothenschlita for all his help of get, getting me organized and giving me some ideas on how to put this all together. I really couldn't do it without all the team. Thank you, Mark Watson and Roni Leibowitz on the tech side. Thank you, everybody, just for being part of the team. Thank you very much for coming. Uh, please enjoy it. We're going to dive Marv right now. Um, there's food outside for those at Davin Marv. There's a farm for sale, but we're diving Marv here now. <laughs>